Episode 132 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, it's the latest film from Disney Animation Studios, Raya and the Last Dragon. But first, how are you, Scott? Doing pretty well. Just a little peek behind the curtain here. This episode is going to be coming out later than usual this week because we we had mighty conflicting schedules uh, for, for recording this week. So yeah. we're uncharacteristically recording on late on a Wednesday night uh, because of a weird combination between my work in the evenings and your other commitments in the evenings this past week. But I think all that is good because we get to sit with the movie a little bit more, which we don't always get to do uh, when we're recording. You know, sometimes hours after we watch a movie, but I guess these days more like 24 or so hours after we see a movie. I remember there was definitely some in the early days where I would like walk home from the movie theater and be like, all right, time to podcast about it. So just getting like the freshest takes on some of the films, Mm -hmm. especially when we did like the double episodes where I'd see one movie on Saturday, one movie on Sunday and then record. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to be here. And even if it's a little better late than never. Yeah, no, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not sure there's a ton of people out there who are going to just be clamoring, like, where's the episode? It was supposed to have dropped by now. But, you know, we like to think there are. Um, I can't believe a thousand people don't set their alarm for 6 a.m. on Thursday mornings to get up and listen to our podcast. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, but, you know, like you said, better late than never. Um, I'm not sure that this is necessarily a movie that I needed to, like, let sit with me for a long time, uh, like (laughs) other movies, perhaps. But um, but yeah, no, you're right. A lot of times, you know, you don't you can't truly know what you think about a movie until you have some some hindsight and some um, perspective on it, um, which, you know, usually more than even a a. a week can provide uh or less than a week you know however long it's been since we saw this but uh yeah you know this i got to see this in theaters again it's starting to feel almost like normal i've seen you know several movies here in theaters recently with nomadland and judas and the black messiah now this and um more to come i think so um positive steps are being made yeah and i think now for at least for you at this point it's like um, it's a matter of you know people putting films into theaters not you know, you being able to go to a theater. It is just waiting for distributors to actually put the films back back on the big screen. Yeah, no, it, exactly. And it seems like, uh, you know, distributors at this point, I mean, I don't know that the films are really making that much more money or anything, but they're kind of just like, again, this, this hybrid approach um, seems to be something that a lot of studios are taking because obviously with this movie, you know, it was also released on Disney Plus. Um, Specifically along on with access, a, though. Yeah, with the premium twenty dollars. Um, thirty. It's thirty dollars. Oh, it's thirty. That's right. Um, yeah, uh, which was the Mulan thing, right? They're they're trying the Mulan thing one more time. Um, I don't think they'll be trying even, it again after this. Yeah, even though Mulan flopped, but I mean, look, I think a lot of people are watching this movie, but I don't know how they're watching it. Like, I mean, some uh, they may be going to the theater. Is the point that I'm saying? Like, I, I it only made pretty... eight million though. It made less than Tom and Jerry. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe not. I mean, I was kind of referring to my own experience, I guess, of like there being a 
you know, more people in the theater than I've seen since like I saw Tenet. Yeah. Um, That's true. So, I mean, that, you know, there is that. And, you know, Disney animation is always going to um, get people um, out to the theater to some extent. I mean, again, it, the times are weird. But, um, you know, I, I also feel like maybe, you know, some families won't mind doling out the $30 to entertain their kids for not just two hours, right? Uh, or, you know, however long this movie is. But a lot of times with kids, it's, it's about, you know, the rewatching and, yeah. um, watching the same movie several times in one week even but um you know the business for sure yeah absolutely um but yeah that's the business side of thing i think we can turn our attention now uh, oh no i want to talk more business it's my job now (laughs) that's true Uh, i'm sure if if we if you if we were to turn this into a business podcast you certainly would not be the one complaining Uh, (laughs) but uh yeah scott as mentioned uh today we have a big animated release to review with disney's raya and the last dragon Set in the fictional Kumandra, where dragons once protected the land until being turned to stone by a magical orb, Raya and the Last Dragon takes place 500 years after that fateful era of dragons, where we meet our heroine Raya, voiced by Kelly Marie Tran. Raya is the daughter of the Chief of Heart, one of the five tribes that are now bitterly divided across Kumandra. And when the film begins, the magical orb is safe on Heart. But after Raya unwittingly lets Namani, the daughter of the chief of the Talon tribe, into the chamber where the orb is kept, a battle breaks out in which Raya's father dies and the orb ends up fractured with a piece held by each of the five tribes. Raya soon makes it her mission to unite the five pieces of the orb and hopefully unite the five tribes in the process with the help of a quirky band of misfits, including, you guessed it, the legendary dragon Sisu, voiced by Aquafina. Scott... Raya and the Last Dragon is a rollicking fantasy adventure with more than a few familiar Disney elements, but is it distinctive enough to leave its own unique stamp and become yet another of the many classics from Disney animation? Yeah, I think that's a bit of a a complicated question. I think there definitely are a lot of flavors of a bunch of other Disney properties in this, you know, which I don't personally have have a problem with um, because I do think it is. For me, it is ultimately distinct enough to stand on its own. Does that mean that in its, you know, in its distinction, it will stand apart as a classic that I will want to revisit, you know, on a semi-regular basis? Like there are some animated movies that I like to revisit. I'm not sure, but right now I'm leaning towards, you know, I'll revisit it some, but I don't think it'll fall in the in the classics territory. Because the truth is, I I did have a really fun time watching this movie. I thought Kelly Marie Tran as Raya was, you know, really awesome. Um, and I think that, you know, I think we talked a little bit about this when, when we reviewed Onward about this time last year, actually, maybe even this year, exactly the same week to the day, maybe. Um, I think, yeah, because it was like beginning of March. So that sounds about right. Yeah. But but with that, like one of the elements that I really enjoyed about Onward was this sort of like fantasy adventure feel to it, which wasn't necessarily something that I had expected from the marketing of that film. That being Pixar, this, of course, is related, but, you know, is Walt Disney Animation, which, you know, obviously has a very different flavor to their films often often than uh, than Pixar does. But you definitely get the fantasy adventure more, I don't know, on the nose in terms of like that is what this film is about. It's how this film was marketed. It's what this film was trying to achieve in many ways. And I think that in terms of a fantasy sort of, I don't know, quixotic or episodic adventure almost, I think it really does deliver 
on those elements. I don't think, however, that all of those sort of episodic parts and the different pieces of the narrative come together in a way that makes this a classic. And we can get into some of the reasons why I don't quite think it, it reaches that, I mean, fairly high bar. Well, let's be honest, there are some really uh, great animation or animated films from Walt Disney Animation. You know, not even, I mean, of course, if you're going back into the Renaissance era in the 90s, um, but even more recent than that as well, I think there are some really great Walt Disney animated movies. Uh, I'm not sure that, that quite this quite lives up to it, but there are different parts here that really worked for me and ultimately did create something that I really enjoyed and would totally rewatch in the future, but not uh, not in a way that is, you know, this is one of the one of my favorite Walt Disney animated movies. Yeah, this is definitely not one of my favorite Walt Disney animated movies. Uh, I think I'm I'm cooler on it than you and on then most people seem to be um, because a lot of people seem to like really be loving this. And, you know, that's kind of why I asked that question of do you think this will be a classic? Because I wouldn't have thought that walking out of the theater. But then again, in reading people's reactions, there are a lot of people who are really freaking out. You know, I, I don't want to speculate, but I think that uh, maybe we've just been starved of this type of, um, you know, big scale film, um, you know, in COVID times to some extent. And maybe um, people are finding their, themselves swept away by this for that reason. Um, yeah, I, I think I, this film is really charming in a lot of ways, which is maybe why. But I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I, I didn't find myself super charmed, I just, I, mainly because I, I, I found it very familiar. I think I, I think a lot of, uh, you know, this movie has been done in other Disney an animation um, films. I, apparently Kubo and the Two Strings, which I haven't seen, um, is obviously okay. not Disney, but it also has, it bears a lot of similarities to that. Uh, I mean, Moana being a very recent Disney release, um, I think that has uh, some similar things plot-wise going on. The Lion King, you know, you have the dead father sort of as motivation. Um, you have sort of the female warrior type of, you know, character from that you see in something like Mulan. And then there's just like these trusty, again, side characters that it feels like in every single one of these movies you have. Um, and, you know, despite them trying to do some like slightly weird things, like making a baby one of the side characters, um, I just didn't find these characters anything particularly new or interesting um uh, you know as companions to raya really I, I i think kids will probably enjoy it i think a lot of the humor in particular is you know aimed at kids there's a fart joke in here which you know is always going to knock you down a little bit on my uh, star star ratings um Happy Death Day, you know, one of my favorite movies, but I can never give it five stars because it has a part chip in it. But, um, but like, yeah, uh, it, it just everything with Aquafina's character, honestly, that Sisu the drag. I, and I mean, I really enjoy Aquafina um, and think she can be very funny, but I just felt like this was kind of a waste of her comic persona here um, with some pretty, you know, stale jokes and, you know, not, not that interesting. Again, actually, the movie that uh, to go back to Leica for a second, this kind of this character kind of reminded me of of uh, Miss the Missing Link from Missing Link, Susan from Missing Link. Um, like even the whole meeting when they meet for the first time, like this cave is like eerily similar to when uh, the characters meet Susan the Missing Link for the first time in in Missing Link, and just sort of again the the sort of oafish like um, comic personality of. Uh, Sisu felt similar to, you know, not just the missing link, but several others. 
uh, several other animated characters that we've seen before. So, yeah, I mean, like, I didn't hate watching the movie or anything. Like, it's it goes by quickly enough, which actually I think is kind of a problem that we'll get into. I feel like it doesn't explore the world that it tries to build in nearly enough detail, that you know, in nearly as much detail as I would have liked. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, it's it's not a classic for me. Um, and maybe if I rewatched it, I you know, it might go up a little bit. But honestly, like, I feel like I watched this movie in the ideal setting, right? I watched it in the theater. Um, if I was ever going to enjoy it, like, a lot, I feel like, it would have happened for me um, when I was seeing it in that theatrical um, experience. But, you know, uh, I'm open-minded. We'll see. Uh, but this this one just wasn't for me. If people are enjoying it, great. I'm glad. Um, I just think that uh, it's been uh, it's been a little bit of time, again, since we have gotten some movies like this. And I feel like that could be affecting people's perception. But, you know, you, you bring the opposite um, uh you know perspective which is that you know you found it charming um and yeah i mean I, i'm obviously in the minority here so maybe i just missed something yeah like i mean it happens every once in a while like yes this film has whatever like high 90s on the rotten tomatoes you know obviously not as high metacritic um but really strong scores i think it has like an a cinema score out there and and i think that i can see those elements right like i still think that people probably liked the film more than I did, even if I enjoyed it the same amount as maybe some of these people um, or the community or, you know, just like film goers in general, people who watch this on Disney plus um, my, if, if that makes sense. Cause I, I think that I can definitely see the holes in this and the things, And I can, I mean, maybe we'll talk about the points that I think really do prevent this from being in that top tier of, of Disney animated. But I, I do think that Raya has the potential to be sort of like an iconic Disney princess. Like, I think that that character, maybe this just starts to segue us in that direction of where we're going next. But like, I do think that that character is a really good one. Maybe it seems very familiar a la maybe like a some combination of a Mulan or a Moana. Or, you know, I'm sure you could probably create this fusion of, of Disney or past Disney animated characters. Again, like, I don't super have a problem with that. Like, a lot of the Disney animated films and even some Pixar films are super formulaic and draw on, you know, the past experiences of the studio. That's not to say that they can't like these, they shouldn't or uh, they shouldn't be creative still and try to add new tweaks and whatever. And, and maybe a valid perspective on this is that this maybe lacks some of that, you know, you know, creativity necessary to elevate, you know, a film that is going to borrow from a lot of other movies or, or the genre as a whole. But I do think in this in this department, Raya really works. I think that Kelly Marie Tran gives a really, like I mentioned, really strong performance. I just think that she is someone who sort of really embodies this like female character and, and not to get like super meta about it. But I, I like feel like this is like the redemption arc that like someone like Kelly Marie Tran like needs in, in the industry. Um, and, and maybe that's just a part of my thinking about this, but like someone who just felt like super oppressed by this, you know, by the toxic fandom of star Wars to come out and, you know, be the voice of a Disney princess who is like, you know, inherently a warrior, right. And, and overcoming a lot of different obstacles and uniting, you know, groups of people, <laughs> maybe star Wars fandom <laughs> divided star Wars fandom. Um, I'm, I think I'm reaching too far here, but like, but I, I think that the, the meta narrative here really spoke to me, which is maybe why I was even more charmed by it. But I do think that she is a, is a really strong, beating heart of this movie 
especially for someone like me to tease maybe where we're going after this. Like I like you wasn't super into Aquafina's character and the dragon Sisu. Um, and so I, I, I constantly found myself in the film, you know, sort of focusing and concentrating more on Raya. And the more that I feel like I did that, um, not that I hated Sisu, just didn't, I didn't vibe with it. didn't vibe with that character necessarily. Um, but the more that I did that, the more that I found to like about Raya. Yeah, no, I, it's a good character. I, I, yeah, I, I struggle a, a little bit with what you're saying just because I think um, people aren't going to really associate this as strongly with Kelly Marie Tran because it's a voice role, right? You're not seeing her on screen. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, like, like yeah. I, I most people probably couldn't name any of the voice actors behind like, yeah. their favorite Disney yeah. princesses, honestly. I just meant more like I think that anonymous though she may be to most people who watch this movie like i think that she embodies she she gives life to this character of ryan in a way that i found really effective yeah well that's true and actually you know most of the people who voice disney princesses are less famous than kelly marie tran is so that's true um, yeah yeah there there is that aspect of it because it's usually like not really famous actresses who do that but yeah i um, mean like frozen yeah, no, will probably be the exception I, that's the only one i can think of that's like the big yeah yeah that's true um yeah. yeah, no, I can't off the top of my head uh, really think of of any others. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a it's a good character. I mean, listen, I think so, you know these types of arcs of like we're going to unite these divided worlds again. Even if even if you take the Star Wars thing out of it, it those those stories are going to resonate particularly today, right? When here <laughs> yeah. in the U.S. we are so divided, like we're more div as divided as we've ever well, not not quite. I mean, we went to civil war time but we are close to as divided as we've ever been um and also so historical like, of you to remember there was a civil war yeah uh yeah um look i'm from the south I, I can't forget i still see freaking confederate flags down here all the time but anyway um i uh you know i, I think that that arc you know it resonates and maybe because of that the character you know gets a boost i just like i don't know i i question whether like this is going to be one of those Disney, whether Raya is going to be one of those names, right? That, you know, is, is a household name that people talk about for years, like Be Belle yeah. or Mulan or Ariel or, um, you know, even Moana recently, right? Like, I feel like Moana was like a real breakout almost in a way that like, you know, really caught on and like the character of Moana really caught on more than Disney princesses have in, you know, a few years probably i mean you know like tangled and stuff ha has its fans out there um but i know it's also see... a known character already right like rapunzel yeah right i mean that's rapunzel but uh well and i mean and i guess frozen you know obviously was a big thing but like you know as, I, we, I list feel like... as we list every disney animated film with the last well years. no i was gonna say i feel like in that era right the frozen moana era we're seeing like sure. a comeback right of these iconic characters and i question whether um you know, there's room for another one, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like, can can Raya also become, you know, as big as Elsa or Moana has? Like, so, my, so I totally hear what you're saying. My counter to that is that this movie is designed to sell toys and plushie and plushies. And that's why I think that 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 is going that it is going to end up resonating. Yeah. But I mean, is it going to be Raya or is it going to be like the side characters, right? Because again, I could, I could but they see all remind kid. you of the movie and the movie's called Raya. Like, yeah, I, I guess, but you know, I could see a kid being like, Oh, I want the Sisu toy. Tuk -tuk. I want, I don't, I want the, I want the little, yeah. The tug tug that I want the little boy, whatever his name is, who's the chef. Uh, no, no one's yeah. going to want Boone. Come on. No, no, no one's going to want Boone over, over tuk tuk. 
there's always a little boy in these movies, I feel like. But uh, anyway. Uh, boy. Maybe I'm thinking about Studio Ghibli, too. It seems like there's always a little boy in Studio Ghibli movies as well. Oh, but, you haven't um, seen Spirited Away yet, have you? No, I haven't seen that one. But uh, There's no boy in that one. Yeah, quite a few of the others. But um, but yeah, no, uh, it's a good enough character. Kelly Marie Chan. I mean, there's spirited performances throughout voice performances throughout the movie like i didn't feel like anyone was phoning it in um you know there's yeah. some other names here like jimma chan is namani who we mentioned i think is daniel day kim is that who her father is chief um, benja yeah yeah um so you know and look they're getting asian actors to play you know what are ostensibly to voice what are ostensibly asian characters and although somewhat uh, controversial in that kelly marie tran was the only southeast asian voice True, actress yeah. or voice actor in a cast but, that was supposed to be all Southeast Asian. I, I, I get that, but I'm not going to like put up too much of a fight. I think it's, I think it's a win that we are just casting Asian actors, you know, to it's voice these roles Yeah, because, because it's voice roles too, right? Like you don't even have to, you know, necessarily do that. You could have, you know, Kristen Bell or, you know, the voice of Elsa, um, or I guess she was the yeah, voice she's of Anna, she, but, but yeah. Um, but yeah, um, you know, you could have her doing it and nobody would be the wiser. But um, I don't really like Frozen, so and I haven't even seen the second one. Uh, Did you really see the second one was better? Although apparently I'm in the minority like, thinking that. I don't know. Maybe I, I just don't like better. maybe I just don't like these movies. I don't know. I, I don't think that's it, because I really like a lot of the Disney Princess movies from the nineties. I think Moana is a lot of fun, mainly because of the music, like the Lynn Manuel Miranda songs, I think are, are really great. But um, chill. Yeah, maybe I am. But, you know, this that's another thing about this movie. I mean, maybe we could just talk about it here for a second. Sure. Uh, there's no songs in this. There's no music in this. And, you know, that seems to be a well, there's a score, of course, but there are no you know songs. And that seems to be, you know, a staple of a lot of the Disney of the iconic Disney princes movies. Right. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, is this like a direction that Disney is going to try to go in more now, like because, you know, we had the Mulan remake, which took the songs out of the movie. Obviously, that was a live action remake, but still, they've been doing songs and, you know, the Beauty and the Beast remake and the Cinderella remake and stuff like that. Um, is Disney like, I don't know, I feel like it'd be kind of a weird choice if they are I don't think moving so. away I mean, from the music base. They mostly stuff. alternate, though, right? Don't they like, I mean, like Frozen 2 obviously had music, but then like Ralph Breaks the Internet didn't, but then Moana did. And well, I'm talking didn't. about like the princess movies and um, specifically, like which you know, Ralph breaks the internet doesn't really fall in there, but um, doesn't isn't, know, yeah, I guess but there's a little girl in that though. I mean, there is a yeah, but there? that but yeah. Vanellope is not a Disney princess, I would say. Um, you know, at least right, not gatekeeper a of Disney set. princesses. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, well, <laughs> look, people were also saying that uh, Samara Weaving from uh, Ready or Not was a Disney princess. So, but we don't. And need they'd to be right. Litigate that, but yeah, um, I guess I guess technically they are. But did uh, Tangle yeah, have no, music? I don't know. I do you have any? It. Yeah, it does. Uh, Scott, do you have any thoughts about um, you know the lack of music in this movie? Do you think it could have used? The music, like going forward, would you like to see Disney get back to its old tradition of, you know, the animated musical? Or do you think, you know, they should try to make some more just like action movies, kind of like this is adventure movies? More. Look, I, I mean, to, to me, I, I'm not too, you know, fussed either way about it, I guess. I mean, I, I wouldn't want them to completely eradicate that tradition from their history of filmmaking. Like I... I still enjoy those those films. I enjoy revisiting the ones from the Renaissance area that you've been alluding to. I, you know, I did enjoy the music and and I think most people do from like Moana and Frozen, et cetera. 
but I, I don't mind them taking it on a case by case basis and inserting music or not or choosing not to include music in films as as they see fit right like if if they don't feel like it's appropriate to have a musical where you're have where you're having this particular story that's fine i think for me a lot of it when i say it comes down from story to story basis like if they didn't feel like they could do the you know the culture of it all justice with the music that they were doing which i think would be relevant these especially these days right to have music that would be culturally appropriate or culturally relevant for this for Kumandra, which is modeled off Southeast Asian society. If they don't feel like they can do that justice or they think that it would be sort of like ham fisting it in, or uh, I don't mind them not doing it. And as long as they don't, like I said, as long, as long as this doesn't become a trend of abandoning it over time, right? Like if they do, if they trade off, like uh, maybe like I was kind of alluding to earlier where they, you know, they do one with music, they do one without, then that's fine by me. I think the reality is that they are not ever going to move away from the music because music sells, especially with the kids. Um, and they always win Oscars too for their original songs. And you know, studios. Yeah. No matter Did Frozen how much, two win last year. No matter how much we may try to. No, we didn't. The Elton John song one, but um, right, right, yeah. But um, you know, they they almost always win, or they win a lot of the time. But yeah, I just um, couldn't. I couldn't remember. Yeah, studios like Disney, even as much many Oscars as they have, they're always chasing those awards. Yeah, I, I, and like I said, I think it's just such, it's such a tradition of their studio that I'd be surprised if they ever moved away from it. But if they again, like if they it, maybe they tried to put music in this and they just didn't feel like it was coming together, and then they said, okay, you know, that's, we're not going to do it with this one. Um, who, who's really to say? And, and I'm okay with that. You know, again, as long as it as long as they don't abandon that entirely, um, I think I'm fine with it. Yeah. I, I I guess I'm with you. You know, I, I I'm fine for them experimenting with other stuff. Like this, obviously, didn't really work a ton to me. But I mean, I think it's important to not just get stuck in the same old formula. You know, at the same yeah. time, I you know, again, I think a lot of my favorites of these movies do fall into that formula. And when I think about Beauty and the Beast, Mulan, you know, the movies like that, it's the songs that is like close to the top of my list of things that I love about the movie. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, if, if, you know, what direction Disney goes in, but I, I do find it a little bit interesting, right. That this is sort of two back-to-back -back Disney princess movies of sort that we've gotten here. Um, looking with the live action Mulan as well, where they have said, Hey, we're not going to do music. Um, yeah, I, it, that's so, I don't even think about the live action movie. I told you're absolutely right, but I don't even think about the live action movies. It's the same as these animated ones, but I mean, yeah, that's fair. And it was a big talking point about Mulan too. That's the only reason I bring it up because it feels like we are we're not talking about it as much with Raya and the Last Dragon, even though it's kind of a. I mean, it seems to me like it's kind of a big deal, right? Because the again, like like I was saying, most of these Disney princess movies are mm -hmm. defined by their songs. So, but anyway, um, that's obviously a, a conscious decision, and you know, it'll work for some people and, and won't work for others. But Scott. Let's talk about the supporting cast. Uh, you know, we've mentioned a lot of their names here um, with uh, Aquafina obviously being sort of the other big name here as Sisu, but then Daniel Day Kim, Jimma Chan. I'm not sure if I'm leaving anyone. Sandra Oh, I think, has a, a voice role as well. Um, yeah, she's Namari's mom. Namari's and mom, Benedict right. Wong. And Benedict Wong, yeah. So, you know, a uh, uh, stacked voice cast here. Um, were there standouts for you uh, among this bunch? Yeah, like like I said, I, I think that Kelly Marie Tran really did lead the charge for me for reasons that I sort of already discussed. Um, but since we're talking specifically about the supporting cast, again, I think Aquafina is always going to be a very singular voice talent in your cast. 
But again, for me, it, it didn't end up standing out for the at least for the right reasons because I wasn't on the same wavelength as the Sisu character. So if I had to talk about characters that I think stood out on the positive side, I think I'd point more towards Jimmy Chan or Daniel Day Kim. Although Daniel Day Kim had a very small role in the movie, ultimately only really popping up at you know the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie and then literally the last scene. I did enjoy his performance very much. It felt like a very familiar. I mean, I've heard him in so many things because, you know, I, I've just watched a lot of the TV shows, I guess, that he's been in. Um, and I always really enjoy him. And so that recognizable voice at the start and the end, I really appreciated that. But I think Jim Chan would be the one that I would point to that, you know, left a mark. I am am a pretty big fan of hers, of what she done. It's so funny to think like Namari is just like a carbon copy of her like looks like an animated version of her character from Captain Marvel. Like they had like the same hairstyle and everything. It was actually funny um, to, see, to, to think about that. But I really did enjoy her performance. Um, Benedict Wong is always great. Uh, so yeah, look, I think it's a, it's, it's a solid, you know, supporting voice cast that, you know, felt very necessary for this movie. Um, but again, I think the big star and I mean, Aquafina, I think is always going to be the one who, sort of is on people's lips when you're talking about this cast. And it's unfortunate that that one just didn't quite land for me. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm a little bit of a broken record here, but I just feel like I, you know, I'm sitting here having trouble remembering a lot of these supporting characters names. Whereas, you know, if we're talking, uh, you know, the Lion King or something, you know, I can rattle off seven or eight. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're you created know, to like the greatest animated movie of all time though. But that's what you have to do when, uh, uh, first of all, Lion King is not the greatest animated movie of all time. One of, Second of all, that, one of that's, the greatest all, animated that's a, lo a lot of what you have to do when you're talking about these Disney, you know, Disney animated movies, because, you know, so many of them are among the greatest uh, of all time. And so when you're talking about, hey, is this is this going to be, you know, uh, the next great movie for Disney animation? Well, that's the bar that they have to reach a lot of times. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the Lion King is like, slightly high but like you know again i could have slightly high <laughs> i could have just said you know beauty and the beast or again mulan something like that and you know i think those are right up there as well again there's disney has a handful i mean at least a handful of movies that um you know you say their names and it's like the same reaction maybe as you just had to when i was talking about the lion king um but uh, but anyway, that, that, that's my point. It, it just feels just, weird. It just feels weird to me. Like for for in perpetuity, every time they make a movie, you're gonna if you're gonna compare it to like some of the best anime movies of all time. Maybe that's inevitable. Maybe that's just like a reality of yeah. of Walt Disney Animation's existence. That just feels like really unfair to me personally. But no, I mean, I'm not saying it's it's not. But I just think that's the conversation that will come up because you know Di Disney works very hard on these movies, and there's you know very few of them that fall in the unmemorable category um, if, if we just go through the list. But um, but yeah, uh, I mean, look, uh, the supporting cast is fine. Again, I think they all give spirited performances. Aquafina, like, uh, you know, she brings the same sort of comic energy uh, that she brought. You know, we've seen her do some comedic side characters before and stuff like Ocean's Aid and Crazy Rich Asians and, you know, uh, the like. Um, and, I, you know, I think she's bringing the same you know spirit that she brings to those movies but it i think it's just the writing probably and the jokes that are provided for her character that just make her come off more annoying than uh endearing like she is in, you know some of those other movies but yeah um, i mean all the humor in this film you you mentioned it earlier and i want to emphasize it because i 100 percent agree is like the humor all focused towards kids and 
you know, I'm I like to think that I'm maybe a little bit more flexible in my humor uh, than than you are oftentimes with film. Yeah, you you probably are. Yeah. But like even for like, I don't know, I, I felt like for me, I just wasn't it wasn't landing. It, it didn't feel super accessible, which, again, not every movie has to be really funny. Um, and, I, and I wouldn't knock the film too much for that. Um, but it, the truth is that it did try to be funny. And for me, it didn't work. But for kids, I'm sure it worked really well. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it did, too. I, I certainly am not the person who can put myself in that frame of mind um, when it comes to, you know, the, this humor. But um, might be concerning if you could. If they enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, something else I want to talk about, Scott, is just sort of the world and the world building that's going on here in this movie, because it is you know sort of a big element of the movie. Right. We have these five tribes and. You know, mm-hmm. it, the plot of it, once the plot kicks in, it's Raya is going to travel to each one of them to, you know, sort of defeat the boss. Like it, there's almost like a video game like structure to it. Right. Of like, we're going to go to the next level now. and We have to get this piece of the orb. And there's a different. Well, yeah, new it's sort like of it's like very episodic and McGuffney. Yeah. Well, a lot. Yeah, it's very McGuffney. A lot of people have. And I, I think you're more familiar with this, you know, uh, show than i am but a lot of people have said this has like some last air avatar last airbender vibes right the way that you have like the even in the culture earth fire air water whatever like the tribes there and um but for me scott the thing about this that didn't work is like we we barely get any time it feels like in each of these respective worlds right yeah it just feels like again they're just little side quests that like oh we're gonna stop in here for 10 15 minutes or so and, you know, there's going to be like a fun little set piece or something, but we don't really get a sense of the world or the people of these individual, you know, tribes, why everyone is so divided, right? Because that's a big, you know, point of the plot is that all these people are divided and Raya is trying to bring everyone back together like they were 500 years ago or whatever. Um, and I just don't think we really get, um, like the world building is interesting, but like, or like this, the way it's set up um, with sort of this storybook like sequence that I actually did like, and I thought was uh, you know yeah. kind of a, a beautiful way to set up the, the the different worlds. But like in a different animation style for each of the tribes was pretty cool. Yeah, it just doesn't go anywhere really for me. Like it, it's it's just it's too protracted to like like you know it's almost like they should have done a couple of these movies right so that there there would have been more time to flesh out um, yeah. the the different worlds like. There obviously is within Avatar: The Last Airbender, which is like one of the most loved things yeah, ever. That, that show had three seasons, I think. Yeah, you know, three twenty-episode seasons, know. basically. Mm-hmm. And then it had Korra as a follow-up. But yeah, you know, did did you have a similar reaction? You know, what was sort of your reaction to the world of Kumandra? Yeah, I think that I probably, I think on the whole, I did have a similar reaction to you because you know the opening. I guess animation sequences where they are laying out sort of the foundation for the world that you're about to dive into really compelling. I think it really got me engaged with the film early on. And I thought it was creative. Like I kind of already mentioned with the different animation styles that it used to lay out sort of how the world had been divided in the way that it had been, you know, after everything that happened with the dragons and the, the drone is it the, the drone druin? I think drone. Yeah. Yeah. Drone. Um, yeah, so so that setup worked really well, and then I I agree. I I as soon as I re- like as soon as we knew that there were five shards that Raya was gonna have hunt down one one for each tribe. I'm like, right, you know exactly this is gonna gonna, this is, now, yeah. it's gonna be too it's gonna be too quick um, yeah. to really feel immersed in the world. I mean, 
not to not everything i really shouldn't do this every single time we talk about any movie that does like some sort of world building but like if you're gonna do world building the, the movie that i had always point to as the, the maybe the franchise that is one of the best at doing this is the john wick franchise like just really dropping you in one part of the world and just like really immersing you in it and not trying to show you twenty thousand different parts of it right like it's it's a the way that it drip feeds out its lore um and builds its world is honestly it's really really it, it, it may be even the most impressive thing um about that film franchise for me but going back to ryan the last dragon here i think that by like the nature of the plot itself and where we find kumandra at in the specific moment in the movie Yes, I wish we could have spent more time in this world and getting immersed in it in the way that I was that I'm talking about here. But the reality is that it's it's such a barren world from everything that's happened over you know the last 500 years that like take what is it? I forget which one Tong the Benedict Wong character is from Spine. I think it is like that place is like gone. Like there's this, there's no one that he's the only person left um, in that kingdom. And like obviously you can't make very much uh, out of that. Of course you can show. You can show them traveling through it and, and, you know, seeing the world itself, which they do to an extent. But it is pretty limited to what you can do with this sort of immersion. I think that there are more interesting parts of the world, though, within that construct that they could have utilized better. I, I think that sort of like the harbor-like city um, of, of Talon, which I think was Talon, was the one that, that they go to after they meet Boone um, for the second shard. Like that city is super interesting. Um, I really liked the vibe of that city a lot. I would love just a movie set within that city, yeah. right? To to your point there, but I think that it's a little bit more limited, and the nature of the plot really did, you know, for, forget the MacGuffin-y nature of it and having to go to the five different worlds. Like just the reality of Kumandra, where it's at during this film, makes it tough to really immerse you in a way that I think would have been really satisfying um, overall. And so, yeah, they did opt to sort of speed through a lot of these different uh, the different kingdoms. Um, or the different nations that I don't even know what they necessarily called them tribes. Uh, yeah. Tribes. Yeah. I guess that's a better way to put it um, in, in this world. And I think that's a bummer. And you know, the power of Disney plus this God is that like this, I could totally see this thing getting spun out into some sort of like limited series that better explores yeah. it. And I think that would be really awesome. Um, again, with maybe some tweaks, uh, but overall I do think it's a missed opportunity. But I also don't blame like with the plot conceits that they were making. I don't blame them for not trying to immerse you in this really ultimately quite barren world. Um, I still think that they tried to do they tried to go too far or span too much in the time that they had. But I understand maybe the thought process they were going through and maybe they weren't as far off the mark for me as they might have been for you. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't think it was far off the mark. It just feels feels like missed potential, right? Again, because sure. it, the way that they set it up, I think is fairly compelling, and you're like, yeah. oh, this will be kind of cool. Um, I mean, I, I'm then, also just a total yeah. sucker for like any sort of like fantasy world adventure, yeah. Like this, the like the vibe that this is giving off, like should really should really nail me, and it did. And I and I definitely wanted more, but yeah, yeah. I, you know, you mentioned John Wick. I mean, I just got to mention my favorite video game series of all time, the longest journey series, like is the best freaking world building you will ever find in your in your life. But um, Ragnar Tornquist, I hope you're a listener of the pod. Uh, and tweet, so, you should tweet this episode, Adam. I will. I don't I don't think Red Thread Games, I don't know that they have that many followers on Twitter, so I should. But 
But no, uh, Scott, kind of the last thing I want to talk about maybe is the relationship between uh, between Raya and Namani, um, sure. which I think is kind of a core part of this movie. And, you know, some people have talked about how these characters have some kind of like romantic energy going on a little bit. I don't know that Disney is I, I still don't know if Disney's at the point where they would go there yet in one of these movies. But um, I think they're close. I think we're close to that point. Um I'm wondering, you know, did you, but, you know, but it just turns into sort of a, hey, I'm winning you over with my good heart or whatever in the end and my, you know, desire to unite everyone and the self-sacrifice for her friends that Raya shows in the end. Um, but, or, you know, for, for everyone, for the, all, you know, all of Kumandra. But, uh, you know, what, what did, did this relationship work for you? Did, did Nimani work as the sort of quote unquote villain if there is one in this movie? Um, Obviously, that's not really how things go in the end, but um, that is kind of how there is a villain. It's the drone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, Namani is the person like again, like I like I set it up, you know, it 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 all kind of starts because of her. Right. And she tricks her way into the chamber there uh, by pretending like she's going to befriend befriend Raya. But yeah, did did you know, did this relationship and sort of tension work for you between these two characters? Yeah, honestly, it, it did. I think that, I mean, I, that's of, of course people are talking about like the romantic, like yeah. the, the lesbian energy of these <laughs> two characters, yeah. which is like, sure, okay, but like I don't know, like because you're because you want to be childhood friends with like a girl, do you have to be like attracted to her? Like, I don't know. Like mm. it just seems seems very lazy uh, t- to me. But I, I think that it does work well. I think that if you really put yourself or, or try to put yourself in Raya's shoes, right? Like, you know, she going up to this sort of like very pivotal moment in her life, you know, sort of at the start of the movie, she had been, you know, really ag- aggressively trying to convince, you know, her, or, or sorry, I, I guess she'd been resistant to this notion that like, you know, that her father had of like, okay, we can trust, like we have to trust other people because it's the only way we're going to, you know, unite our tribes again. Right. And, and, you know, she decided to take that leap of faith that her father was pushing her towards when he invites, when chief Benja invites all the different tribes to to heart and she like the first time that she's sort of letting her walls down and trusting uh when her father advised her to you know she gets burned to the utmost extent that she could possibly get burned right like her her entire tribe sort of disintegrates like world the world sinks sinks back into her sort of ruin at the hands of the droon and her father is turned to stone uh as a result of all this and so i think that the animosity that that can gen- like that that generates can i mean I don't think that can go any other way than this sort of like really, you know, deep seated rival or this deep seated hatred that's also really, I think, nuanced and, and complexly sort of interwoven with this idea that at the end of the day, these two people want the same thing, right? Like they want yeah. they want to save Kumandra. And it's a matter of, you know, what each of them thinks is best, right? And and I think that again, like sort of the the rivalry or the tension or however you want to describe their relationship um, over the course of the film. I think it does work. I think it does work overall. I, I do think that maybe there are a few holes here and there. Like I wouldn't call it just like the perfect uh, art character arcs uh, ever made, but I, I do think overall you, you get that these people are still kids, right? Like these, these people ultimately are still like teenagers. Right. And I think that, that it's really important to remember that in the context of making like feeling pressured for Namari in particular, like feeling pressured to make certain decisions based on what her mother is telling her and then having to contend with, you know, 
what she thinks might be right and, and what Raya, who even though they again they have this rivalry, they each know what each other are trying to accomplish um, at the end of the day, especially at, you know, at a certain climactic point in the movie. Um, and I think it creates this really like these really complex, difficult decisions that each of them has to make. Right. And I think it's important um, to contextualize all that with, you know, where they are in society, you know, where they are in, in their own maturity, et cetera. And so I, I do think end up these characters end up working quite well. And if I had to point to, you know, dy- dynamics and arcs that worked really well for me, it, it would be between Raya and Namari as opposed to sort of maybe other elements of the plot that didn't work as well. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't really get a lot of the nuance, you know, that I think you're you're talking about here. I, and I would have liked them to explore like the guilt more that that Raya feels, kind of like you were, were talking about. It just seems like her whole quest to get to reunite the orb, whatever, is is mostly about her father um, and trying to bring him back. And I want to, you know, I think it would have been more interesting if there was more of a like hey, again, like you were saying, like this whole thing kind of started because of me, right? Because I was tricked. I let uh, Namari into the, you know, chamber. And that's how this whole thing started. So now, because I'm the person who started all of this, I want to be the person who kind of like, you know, fixes it, ends it, whatever. And I don't know that that element is really quite there. Um, I, I think I think that it's mentioned briefly, but you're right. They, they don't sort of double down yeah. on it and really lean that hard into it. And I think part of that is because of that relationship that they're trying to, to play out between her and, and Sisu who really from sort of the outset is trying to convince her, Hey, like, don't worry about this. Like we need to do this for me and for, you know, the dragons and bring them back. Right. It does take the focus away from maybe Raya's particular motivations. Not that I don't still see that they are there, but they are less emphasized because of the sort of like co protagonist of the film well yeah and and i also think it's again this trying to aim it more at kids right i think it's like ironing over some of the you know potential potential edges of this story for kids right because you know that's a little more mature for kids to try and understand this sort of guilt complex thing but like i want to bring my dad back from the dead sure heck yeah like that's every single (laughs) again let's go back to the lion king again although i think the lion king is a lot darker uh in a good way um simba can't bring his dad back so Sure, sure. But, you know, that's the motivation. Um, it just his father's death is the motivation for his actions. But um, but yeah, like I uh, I think that, um, yeah, it, again, it just feels like a, a missed opportunity. And, uh, you know, they're 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 not making like we've seen, you know, with with Pixar last year, right, with Soul, uh, even with Onward to some extent. Right. Like Disney. You know, it's a different it's a different offshoot of it's Pixar, but they're they're very willing to go in uh, some out there directions. Right. And to make movies with some like serious, you know, mature ideas, uh, you know, despite being ostensibly marketed at kids. Um, and I guess what I'm saying is I'd like to see Disney animation maybe start you know, thinking about going there. But again, maybe that's just not their MO, right? Maybe they're going to leave that type of experimental stuff to Pixar. Um, and, you know, they're going to churn out stuff like this. But uh, that, that it w- the movie was a little bit lacking in that department. And I think that's why it just wasn't a, a super big home run for me. But uh, okay, I think we can uh, move on into wrap up now for Raya and the Last Dragon. Scott, what was your favorite scene or moment? Yeah, I mean, if I had to pick a particular scene or moment, like I think I'd have to go with the opening just because it not that I think it was necessarily the high point of the film, but it just set us out in the film, like on the right note, set the right tone was maybe the most creative that the story had been. I think it, it maybe takes some 
notions from like the opening scenes of like Black Panther, which also does something similar with animating um, the different tribes. I was of thinking Wakanda. about like the Deathly Hallows uh, stuff from Harry Potter. Yeah, like. that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So I, it's not like it's the first film to ever do an animated opening sequence, but it does it well in a way that I found. And it sounds like you found also pretty compelling. So if I had to pick a scene or moment, I'd pick that. But um, I also still really enjoy sort of that first scene after the, you know, skip forward to the present day time where she Raya and Tuk Tuk are looking for Sisu and one of the fragments um, of the orb in the desert. It's sort of like the, the, she talks about how it's the last river that she hadn't searched yet. And, uh, the sort of like barren wasteland. I don't know. I, I really vibe with that. And yeah, I'm a sucker for a cute, you know, plushy animal like figure in Tuk Tuk. So I really enjoyed that character. Alan yeah, Tudor like, voices Tuk Tuk. Of course he does. There, there was like yeah, a, a two minute sequence where, or two minute, two minutes of the movie where I thought this was going to go into like Mad Max territory. And I was like, oh man, Scott's going to be pumped about this. But uh, probably uh, why it was one of my favorite scenes. Missed potential again. But no, yeah, I agree with you. The the opening, again, the storybook, like sort of setting up of all the worlds gets you ready to go. And then it's, you know, just kind of a, a meh for the rest, for a lot of the rest of the way. For me, yeah, I mean, I like some of the stuff on whatever the Harbor Tribe, you know, that sort of um, sequence in the boat and all that is is kind of fun. But, eh. Yeah, I mean, look, you, we've mentioned we've mentioned the Harbor City of Talon a couple times now. And the fact that we haven't once mentioned the sort of like monkeys and baby it tells you what we thought of that element of it, which. Uh, yep. Yeah. Again, it's it's kid stuff. It really is. Um, Nothing wrong with that, but it didn't work for us. Let's put a score on it. Scott, what do you give uh, Ryan the last draft? Yeah, you know, I I think there's a lot to like about this movie. And and I think I may, just because you were sort of taking the more negative positions on a lot of these, which is nothing wrong with that. I think that I may have even come off sounding more positive than my score is ultimately going to shake out to be because I do think there are some shortcomings um, in the plot feeling very, um, I don't know. It's, there's nothing wrong with cliches, but this almost felt in some ways sort of at the business end of the film, like a, a little bit cliche to a fault. Um, and some some narrative arcs there at the very, very end of the movie, um, as well as some, I don't know, I, th- I thought the dialogue and like the script here was average at best. Um, we didn't really talk too much about that element, but I thought that the script was very average. Um, but I'm coming out at a 7.2. But I think there's, again, it, it is very likable in a lot of ways. And, you know, wh- whether... It is sort of uh, quarantine inflation uh, reviews that we're getting from, you know, both critics and consumers. I think that if you're looking for, you know, a fantastical getaway uh, adventure type film, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you you should spend thirty dollars on it um, to to get it on Disney Plus. But you know, if you have a means of going to the theater and you feel comfortable spending a more reasonable amount of money than thirty dollars, or you know when it does come out to Disney plus probably in a few months, just Disney plus proper. I definitely recommend checking it out. It's very charming. Uh, yeah, no, no surprise. I'm coming out lower here, Scott. I'm, I'm right down the middle, honestly, on this one. I'm just going to go with a straight up 5.0 because I think this movie is, is fine. Uh, yeah. Again, uh, ki- kids will enjoy it. I am. I totally understand kids enjoying it. I am a little bit more befuddled. I'm by an adult. Who, <laughs> yeah, exactly. By people who are our age that are, you know, really sort of freaking out for this movie. But 
you know, my, my thoughts on it, I, I don't I don't necessarily get what makes this a classic, but that's, you know, why we're human beings and we have our differences and our differences are what make us special, right? God, why does everyone have to be special? Something like that. All right, uh, Scott, we're going to take a short break now. Uh, but when we come back, a couple of news items to talk about, including some news about a new Superman film, uh, as well as uh, the latest awards season update from the Critics' Choice Awards this past weekend. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, it's become a tradition now that this time of the year, our news section is a lot of times dominated by award season updates. Um, and our latest award show to talk about was the Critics' Choice Awards. This is definitely one that uh, is often looked at as being somewhat of a predictor of what is to come for the big dance, the Oscars. You know, we're, we're moving closer. Um, to to that date, you know, the SAG awards are kind of the and the guilds are sort of the, the few things that we have left um, before we get to the nominations being revealed, of course, which uh, is coming up next week, I believe. Or Monday. is it this week? Yeah. Okay. Monday. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the actual ceremony in April. But uh, the Critics' Choice Awards, Scott, you know, I want to start here because I talked about this last week when we talked about the Golden Globes that. Um, you know, uh, the the sort of the interesting races to watch, I think, are going to be the actress races because the Golden Globes had really weird winners. And the Critics' Choice Awards, on the other hand, I think were more in line with what uh, I was expecting to see, like at the Golden Globes. And I think, again, that just makes this race even more these races even more complicated. Right. Because our winner for Best Supporting Actress was Maria Bakalova for uh, Borat's subsequent movie film and for Best Actress was Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Um, and, you know, again, th those are the people that prior to the Golden Globes, I was looking at as favorites, um, you know, in those respective categories, then the Golden Globes kind of messed everything up. Now it looks like, hey, we're kind of back to normal. I don't know. What do you think, Scott? Do you think, uh, you know, that these are the front runners in these particular categories? Or do you think it's still a little bit up in the air, especially after what happened at the Globes? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I mean, one thing that we can kind of take solace in, I guess, I don't know, but um, is the fact that, I mean, Nomadland still running away with Best Picture, Best Director. Yes. Um, not that that is a signed, sealed, delivered, guarantee yeah. win at the Oscars by any stretch of the imagination. Don't worry, I was definitely going to get there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure you were. But there are some races, you know, that really do feel like they are pretty locked up. Um maybe four of them even if you go on the other side of the category from what you were just talking about with the best actor and best supporting actor right. being Chadwick Boseman and Daniel Kaluuya as for best actress and best supporting actress. I think this is confirmation that like we weren't crazy before the golden globes, but to say that these are, these are the clear favorites because they won the critics choice awards. I don't think that's the case. Um, like honestly, it's very shrug to me. I think the guilds will be a lot more telling. Um, than either the Globes or the Critics' Choice Awards, honestly, because ultimately the Globes and the Critics' Choice, these are just like journalists, right? Like, I mean, I mean, who even knows what the hell the HFPA even is? But like, ostensibly, they don't they don't make movies, they don't act in movies, they don't do anything related to like actually producing movies. Uh, neither do the Critics' Choice Awards, obviously. But then the Guilds over here, much more in line uh, with the Oscar voters. Obviously, they're only a small subsegment of the Oscar voters, 
but you'll start to get overlap in the Oscar voting pool uh, when you get to the Guild Awards. So I think that what the Critics' Choice Awards really served as for me is that, like I already said, we weren't crazy to think that these people were the favorites going into the Globes. I don't think that th these wins make them the favorites again, but I do think that it lead, lends credence towards like, all right, if things sort of get back on track and continue to be on track for what, they, what we thought they were before the Globes happened, um, I think that they will be the favorites by the time the Oscars roll around. If it comes back and the SAG Awards, like freaking Zendaya wins for Malcolm and Marie or something like that. Um, yeah, well, she doesn't actually win think it's that crazy. Choice Awards, probably. But <laughs> I don't think, yeah, exactly. I, was like, I don't actually think that, that, like I said that sort of like very nonchalantly, but I don't actually think that that's crazy, that crazy of a take that Malcolm, that Zendaya could end up winning um, for Malcolm and Marie. I don't think that will happen, but it wouldn't be the most shocking thing uh, of all time. But look, I think if Carrie Mulligan wins at the SAGs and Maria Bakalova wins at the SAGs, which maybe they are the odds on just in terms of like Vegas odds favorites to go to for for those wins, then I think that you, we can comfortably say, all right, yeah, maybe sign still delivered. They're going to win the Oscars. But for now, it just feels like things are reorienting after the I don't even know what the hell happened at the Globes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at the very least, though, I do think there will be a little bit of suspense probably when we get to the Oscars about who's going to win, even, you know, even if the SAGs follow suit, right, with what we saw at the Critics' Choice. Like, you know, again, I think particularly with Best Actress, like, you know, there there's some wiggle room, again, with people like Frances McDormand, with people like Vanessa Kirby and Viola Davis all probably going to be in there. Um, yeah, I think Vanessa Kirby's stock, unfortunately, no one's talking about Pieces of a Woman. I think um, she'll still get nominated, but I, yeah, I, sure, yeah, but I, I don't think, think she, she I don't doesn't think she's... have a really a chance to win. Probably, yeah, I I would agree that she doesn't have very much of a chance. Yeah, because it's not that great of a movie, and I'm you know honestly uh, she was good in the movie, uh, but it wouldn't have been in my top five performances. And I'm glad we're getting to the point. Well, I'm not going to make a sweeping statement, but I I'm glad yeah. that we are not just like Bring you know that <laughs> that these movies which are just kind of meh aren't like you know the ones getting. Uh, or that that it, the fact that a movie is mad is causing it to lose some awards attention, I guess, is what I'm saying. So I do think that is probably what's affecting. Uh, is that what's causing that movie to lose awards attention? Or is it the fact that it doesn't have that many big names attached to it? It doesn't have any buzz around it. Not even because it's well, not it doesn't good. have any buzz, I think, because it's not that good. And it's, and it's just kind of a meh, right? Like, I, I, right, I, sure, sure. But I'm saying, like, I think, I think there, are, there are other meh movies that have buzz because of names attached to them. Maybe, but I mean, you know, I, again, I think people are pretty positive on Vanessa Kirby's performance, certainly. I just sure. don't think yeah. that the movie is being talked about because people aren't like, hey, this is a movie you need to go see during award season or whatever. It um, doesn't have any A-list people attached to it. That's just the truth of the matter. It doesn't have any A-list people attached to it, and it was a it, it got lukewarm to slightly positive reviews, and that just doesn't carry you through an award season, even if it has a really good performance in it. Yeah. I mean, I know, like, we usually see one of these every single year, right? Like, one of these like random performances um, from a man movie that some people saw, but some most people didn't get nominated for one of these things. Like Nicole Kidman got it for Destroyer a couple years ago, and I'm sure there was hey, one. Well, I actually thing. hear Destroyer's all right. It's Karen Kuzama, so it's probably pretty good. Sure, but I'm, yeah. I'm, but I'm saying in terms of like pure score, nobody saw it. Yeah, pure scores. It's like roughly the same, and more people probably saw Pieces of a Woman because it was on Netflix. But yeah. like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, there's other man movies. Like, I think, I think. I think it's slightly better than Pieces of a Woman, but like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, a, a slightly above average movie with some really with some real star power in it. 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, and that has the added element too. I think of Chadwick Boseman passing. I mean, it's it's it's. But even you know, if he hadn't passed, I th- I still think it would be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's an electric performance for sure. But I mean, yeah, I'm with you that the movie is kind of yeah. But uh, but yeah, but anyway, that's the actress races. I think are going to be the ones to watch again. I think, you know, all signs knock on wood. All signs are looking good, like you said, for both Chloe Zhao and Nomadland. Uh, because of course Chloe Zhao did take home best director. It did win best picture. You know, I'm not going to get greedy because I think that, uh, you know, even though it's my favorite film of the year, but like I'm shocked that this movie isn't getting more attention in the best score category. Um, and I know we've talked about a little bit, maybe that is, was kind of a strong year for scores possibly, but, um, for me, for me, um, Ludovico Einaudi, his, his score is just such a, uh, crucial element of uh that movie and you know i i hear it um in my head when i you know think about that movie um that you know it, it is a little surprising to me that as much love as the movie is getting and so many categories i mean it looks like it's probably got a good chance to win for best cinematography as well um i uh you know it, it is surprising that um you know it's not getting any attention in the score category but anyway that's kind of a, a side note but um, yeah, I, I, yeah, look, I, I think that that is interesting. I don't think it's that strong of a year for scores. I mean, look, you have two, you have two Reznor and Ross scores, and yeah. you have Gorenson's Tenet score. I haven't, I'll, I'll be, I'll reason I haven't seen The Midnight Sky, which is Alexander Desplat. I haven't seen News of the World, which is James Newton Howard. And right, I thought the Minari score that always was, get people that always get nominated. Yeah, and like the Emil Mosseri score for Minari was good. Like I could totally see that getting. Like, I think that's a deserved nominee. I mean, it got nominated at the Critics' Choice. Who knows if it got nominated at the Oscars? But I think that's, like, a worthwhile score, sure. But, like, when I look back at this year, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I mean, look, I'm biased towards Tenet for sure. Like, I will I have the vinyl for, for, for Tenet. But, like, I don't know. Like, is it really? Oh, I don't think it's so deep where you, you couldn't get a score. Like, you're just, because I totally agree with you. Like, you know, like the one for Nomadland. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I, I agree with that, honestly, that I don't, I don't think it's that, you know, that is something that had come up before uh, about it possibly being a strong year for scores, which is why I brought that up. But I mean, I think I kind of agree that like, there's not like last year, you know, there were several scores with 1917 and Little Women and, you know, a couple others that I would like had on repeat right at this time of the year. And absolutely. Yeah, not really. Although I haven't really looked, you know, at the Nomadland score on Spotify, so I, I should start listening to it more. But, Look, if um, I could get my hands on either the 1917 or the Little Open Vinyl, I would. Big vinyl guy over here. Big vinyl head. Scott Shelton, everybody. Um, He's saying it facetiously because I just got into it this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's go over to, to noted vinyl head Scott Shelton now to oh talk about God, the uh, – <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I know, I know, I know. The, uh, the, some news involving uh, Superman. Uh, new Superman movie is uh, in the works with – some interesting names attached to it, Scott. Yeah, this uh, new Superman movie coming out next week on HBO Max. It's pretty incredible. The Snyder Cut, Zack Snyder. No, I'm kidding. Um, Scott, Scott's just like collapsing. Probably just had an aneurysm. Uh, yeah, no. So it came out. I think we're a little bit late on this because I think it was a couple weeks ago now. But it was announced that there will be a Superman reboot uh, make, or I should say, it's in development at Warner Brothers with J.J. Abrams producing. So. You know, he has his hands in literally every piece of IP imaginable at any studio ever. Um, and it's being written right now uh, by Ta-Nehisi Coates, which is a pretty, uh, I don't know, good 
<laughs> good thing. It feels like it's a really good thing. Um, compared What's to the you, word I'm looking for? Good? <laughs> su- surprising, but in a good way. Um, yeah. That they would go this particular direction. I mean, it. he's not uh, unknown and unknown necessarily um, in terms of comic book writing. I mean, he wrote an entire line of Black Panther comics. Um, and he's done, I believe he's done some work in film as well at this point i'm i'm a little fuzzy to be honest but he definitely has done some stuff with black panther so he's familiar with sort of like the comic book um genre if not necessarily the comic book adaptations to the film but it's a really interesting direction to be going given it seems like the constant conversation of course i made my jokes about the snyder cut uh to start out with but i mean there's so many so much speculation just around Henry Cavill's future as Superman. You know, will he, won't he return for another Superman movie? And and I will say, like, this reboot doesn't even mean that he won't also return as Superman. I mean, look, we have uh, Michael Keaton and, you know, Michael Keaton in this, you know, Batman movie. Uh, sorry, I guess, sorry, it's in, it's in the Flash movie with Ben, with ben Affleck. I don't even remember. Uh, it all blurs together. DCU is just like total mess um yeah yeah, exactly but but the point is is that there's obviously like a lot of there is some sort of multiverse element uh to the universe you know whether this will be set in the dceu or this will be a more standalone feature a la something like joker um or some of the other dc movies that have been separate from the dceu in recent years we don't really have that many details about it yet but just the fact that this reboot is in production with someone like jj abrams who has in my personal opinion done a really good job rebooting or restarting franchises, even if he hasn't done a good job finishing those reboots. Um, Cause I enjoyed the first star Trek movie. I enjoyed star Wars, the force awakens. I didn't necessarily like the, I mean, I love blast Jedi, <laughs> but I didn't necessarily like the culmination or most recent films in either of those. Franchises. You're being kind to say that you didn't necessarily. Well, I didn't like bother it. seeing star Trek beyond, but um, I did bother seeing rise of Skywalker and, I, I don't know if well, I'll say Star I Trek Beyond it. also wasn't him. Sorry, I just I know, but I'm just saying like just his his reboots, his franchise reboots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't necessarily enjoyed their culminations or where they led to, but I did like where they started. So to have him producing, he's not direct. I mean, look, maybe he ends up directing. I don't know. Um, but he's producing. Tana Hazy Coates is writing. I think this is a really interesting um, project and one to keep my eye on. Look, it's it's just starting development. So I mean, this movie's probably two three years out minimum, especially given the backup of movies currently in, in society and whatnot but i think it's exciting i think it probably means they're going to cast a black superman which i think is really cool um i don't necessarily think this is going to happen but if michael b jordan uh, michael b jordan has before been rumored or talked about wanting to play superman um so cast him why don't you uh but if they don't cast him i'm sure they'll find someone um who's great like jonathan majors I'm sure can be a great superman plenty of really talented young black actors out there who would crush the role frankly um so excited for that and excited to see that movie in 2024 yeah no i mean i was like what when i heard ta-nehisi Coates' name attached to this like uh you know he he's you know primarily i mean i didn't know that he'd been a comic book writer or anything like that he's you know known for being african-american commentator like one of the you know most known perceptive commentators on like the african-american experience in the modern era like this would be like if 
James Baldwin or like Toni Morrison were writing like a Jurassic Park movie or something like to hear this news is like is like what like except it, he's written comic books but yeah except sure. he has written comic books yeah. sure yeah but but like that was my initial reaction to it uh, but also I think Superman in particular right there's so much like potential to like tap the mythology of like America there right totally, because yeah. you know okay. he. It, you know, lives in the Midwest and, you know, comes from this other world. Um, and so I think, you know, that is Superman. The Superman property is uh, has a lot of potential for um, somebody like Tony C. Coates to come in and do something really radical, um, which like I'd be surprised if we don't get that. Um, with, uh, like I'd, he doesn't strike me as the type of guy who would agree to do this um, unless, you know, he was going to be be able to say something he felt like with yeah uh, with this movie so yeah Look, just I, go I ahead mean, and send it kugler and michael b jordan attach them to this project too and let's get going superman <laughs> has never been one of my favorites but i also think that's because you know the movies are eh, of the one of the ones that i've seen um so yeah. maybe this could be the superman project which like you know gets me fully in on the character uh because like your you fire know, Certainly, Superman is as iconic as they come, and there are many, many, many people who love the character. So I would like to be there with them. Maybe I will be after seeing this, but I can already, I you know, see the discourse in four years or three years, whatever, about how um, you know this is not true to the mythology or to the lore of Superman or whatever's have a black Clark Superman's not black. Yeah, um, and you know, obviously, can't wait for that conversation, but. Yes. Um, my favorite conversation to have ever when talking about film. Yeah. On that note, Scott, I think we can uh, just about wrap up today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. Where can our listeners find you on Twitter? At Shelton 2013 And I am at Scarvy Dent. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Some Like It, Scott. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash pods. Uh, even if you can't support us over there, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you will be back next week on when we will be reviewing uh, the comeback for the Avengers Endgame directors, uh, Joe and Anthony Russo. Uh, that is the crime drama Cherry starring Tom Holland. Uh, but until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.